Welcome everyone to the Guns, Gear, and Beer podcast. I'm your host, Derek Campbell, and we have a pretty full house tonight. I'm joined by Chris from Because Operator, Nathan from Schultz Photography, and Yosa from Esoteric. How are you guys doing tonight? Not too bad, man. Yourself? Doing good. Staying busy, trying to squeeze out that last little bit of summer before we enter into six months of eternal cold darkness here in Colorado. Yeah, try not to melt here in Texas. <laughs> Well, here in North Carolina, it's not too bad. It's been kind of hot, but man, Colorado is pretty nice. It is. I don't mind Colorado. I don't know if I want six months of uh, cold weather there. Well, it's it's ninety nine percent of the time it's great. It's just every every winter, at least where I live in the state, we have one or two huge blizzards, and then the rest of the winter is completely fine. It's just for those one or two blizzards when you're having to dig out four feet of snow from the driveway that's interesting yeah i wouldn't do too well with that <laughs> you guys should just uh you guys should just uh venture north of the wall a bit you know past uh into the unknown territory where uh where we got like the white walkers and stuff up here <laughs> <laughs> we took it out before we build a wall. is it that bad in toronto it gets so uh so cold, huh? No, Toronto. You know what? Toronto's a joke compared to places like Edmonton, where if you stay outside, you die. Apparently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what I don't, that, understand, I don't understand. People have a, a, a newfound respect. Uh, I uh, traveled to Buffalo, New York, and yeah. got the experience a legitimate sub-zero temperature and and Detroit as well. And I never understood what drives people to go there. And then after they experience this, they decide to stay. <laughs> There's I multiple just, states. Yeah. I, just, I, don't, I, I don't get it. Well, what's funny is that the military, they send some of people for cold weather training to Fort Drum in New York. Yeah. It's a, that they send people from Alaska to Fort Drum to do winter survival <laughs> training. <laughs> <laughs> Buffalo and like Syracuse and like it's right in that snow belt area, right? So uh, when they get really bad uh, winter weather, it, it's bad. It like shuts down the roads. Um, it's just blizzard. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't doubt it, right? <laughs> yeah. So I was up there doing some work, uh, helping an agency out, and uh, I actually chose to stay uh, like downtown kind of thing and i just rather walk so uh, i was like i'm gonna meet these guys at this restaurant and uh, they were like we'll pick you up we'll do that i was like no man i'm gonna walk and they were all like something is wrong with this guy so i just basically hung up the phone and at the time i had this big long beard and i stepped out and walked two blocks later i had ice in my beard and i realized maybe that's why they don't want me to walk you know mistakes <laughs> were made that was very, not very bright on my part. No, the best is when your nose actually starts freezing shut when it's so cold outside. Yeah. yeah. Does does no. the beard make that much of a difference in the cold? Uh, no. 
yes and no. I say yes and no with mine. Just yeah, yeah it, yeah, it helps. It definitely helps to have it. Um, but after a while, you kind of regret it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But then you shave and you really regret it, so. <laughs> yeah, but when you have the beard and and it gets, like, moisture in there and it gets cold, it feels like it just stays there. It's like having wet hair. Well, it's it just hair. an ice wall. <laughs> yeah, you, so you, is... don't, you know, you don't feel the pain anymore. It just all goes numb. Uh, that, that may be valid. Anyway, I just kind of try to use, try to schedule things a little bit better when I avoid those parts of the country in the winter. So Buffalo doesn't get any training from Esoteric in the winter. <laughs> no, we're uh, here first, folks. Hey man, don't put that. I'll take it, but still, we would have to like say it's all indoors, okay? You know, unfortunately, one time I read a statistic that in like the 1800s, like late 1800s, early 1900s, there were more people living in Buffalo, New York, than they do in 2015. Uh, they're, they're, they're having it pretty rough up there, man. Dude, the last time I drove through Buffalo, um, it was pretty crazy. My wife and I were going through there, and we decided to go to Niagara Falls. And we went to the state side of Niagara Falls. And there were just so many houses that were uh, completely abandoned. Um, yeah. Kind of like what's going on in Detroit. And, you know, there's nice parts of Buffalo, but there was it was just crazy. There were areas where there was just nobody. It was completely devoid of any. Uh, they hadn't worked on the on the sidewalk or the streets. Uh, so they were just all carved up and everything. It was just like looked pretty uh, started looking pretty third world in some yeah. areas. So, yeah, a little creepy. Were you chased by packs of wild dogs? No, no, we were driving, but, you know, we locked our doors, and we were like, all right. <laughs> Going hey, through no, New York, Jared, New Jersey at night. Yeah. Jared, Don't open your doors. This is exactly what we've talked about before, is you can't – we start a conversation with a plan, and we never go where we started. Oh, wait, there was a plan? We're talking about Buffalo, New York, and wild dogs. <laughs> that that, that's, you know – I, I think that that's that's a uh, a good progression with wild dogs in Buffalo, New York, and yeah, when to yeah. avoid well, it. That's what Detroit's got, you know. They got the wild dogs in Detroit. Well, you know, so Buffalo, I guess, is next to get them. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so what's next? We're gonna start talking about I Am Legend because that sounds like. <laughs> I mean, and, and that could be a podcast of its own. You know, how would you set things up if you ended up being? and you're the last guy and you had a dog and you were in New York. Get out of the city as fast as possible. Yes. <laughs> yeah, basically. I was more upset when his dog died than when most people die in most video- <laughs> in most movies. Damn it, not the dog. <laughs> it's like old yeller all over again. <laughs> there's a, there's a rule that you don't kill dogs in, in movies or TV or games. So You don't. Kill people, kill all the people. Everyone dies. End of the world. Don't kill the dog. That's how it works. Dogs got to live. Yeah, that, that was sad with the dog. And it was a good dog, too. Yeah. Like um, it, Independence Day, that sweet 90s movie, uh, where their fireball is coming down this packed uh, tunnel. Yeah. And there's hundreds of people dying. And the but dog then the camera shows the car. But the dog <laughs> jumping out just in time. Because that's what people care about. <laughs> Dude, if that dog died there, I would have walked out of that movie a lot sooner. <laughs> that, that that kept me in that film, all right. Then, I was, you know, I was mad that they didn't have the dog in the remake when they re, when they redid Independence. I know, 
I know. We'll okay, there are, guys there are, hey, listen, there are certain things we shouldn't talk about. The fact that they remade that movie should <laughs> not even be a conversation. And the fact that you went to it. No, 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 no. I did not go to that movie. I saw it on Netflix. We need, hey, man, we need to hang him up, man. He's out. He's out. <laughs> All right, it, it was fun. Yeah, we'll see you guys later. <laughs> you gave them a click. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, so before we, the, the train derailed and destroyed the whole town, we were planning on talking about maybe some of the cool new stuff that uh, you've been running with at your recent classes, Yosef. Oh, what are you, are you talking about, that Audemars? Like that, um, I believe you mentioned uh, you've been uh, running an interesting Glock setup. I saw that video you posted on your Facebook of that 2.52 second play run. That was pretty smooth. Yeah. Well, th thank you, thank you. So we've been, uh, I've been a 2011 guy, an STI, uh, SV uh, shooter for a long time. I've, I've, since 2003, I've shot nothing but a single action handgun. And I know that's old school, but those things, they're just amazing shooting guns. And uh, recently, for a variety of reasons, uh, I'm going to start carrying a Glock. Uh, Glock 17 to be exact, and uh, not a Sig. Oh, no, don't start with that now. I got no uh, horse in that race. I, I, I don't know how much of a podcast you want to have because I have a few choice words for uh, Sig, but uh, you know they make some interesting products, uh, Sig. But however, they we've we've had some issues in the sense. Uh, they don't seem very responsive to customer needs, at least my experience. Uh, I've shot some of their sniper rifles, some of their handguns, and there were some issues that we sent the guns back, and the response was uh, quite interesting, you know. But anyway, we'll, we digress. Uh, so anyway, the Glock 17 uh, MOS, uh, I was quite skeptical initially. Uh, I'm good friends with Terran Tactical. Uh, Karen Butler and uh, started talking to Karen and and Karen said, well, you know, send us one of the guns and we'll see what we can do. So they've actually did two two guns. They did a 17 for me and a, a 34. Uh, I've been currently shooting the 17 mainly. Uh, what I love about their trigger job is just you know it's it's real clean. Uh, it's not one of those uh, trigger jobs where you've changed so many parts on the gun that there's a reliability issue. Uh, you know, not naming names. I just really like a, a very reliable trigger because I, I sometimes shoot a hard military-style primers. Sometimes you get soft primers. So I want something that consistently works. And I don't want to have any uh, light primer strike. Uh, in regards to the drop test, you know, you also want to carry a gun operationally. You need something that would withstand the, you know, the, the jostling or the drop. But I really like the way they do their trigger. Uh, very, very crisp at three pounds. Uh, the cuts and the stippling, uh, you know, you get a really good grip. Uh, I did get the uh, finger grooves removed uh, from it just so I could get a higher purchase on the, uh, on the grip. And I did a little bit of an undercut as well. Um, so that's the gun that, that we've been shooting, uh, love their base pads, the plus five, uh, they fit the gun really well, easy to clean your magazines. And honestly, you know, having, uh, 23 rounds in the gun is kind of nice. 
uh, their magwell is big enough for you to have a fast reload, but at the same time, it's not too big where you're, you know, in and out of a car or even operationally, it's just not uh, sticking out. Uh, been shooting the gun probably right now. I have about 5,000 rounds through that pistol. I've nice. had zero, zero nice. issues. Uh, it, it, it's been running really well. You know, I've heard a lot of, I've been, I, if we talk about the red dot sites in general, I'm not yeah. a fan. Uh, I know it's becoming a fad, like everybody wants to have them, and, you know, no offense to anybody. They, they, they tend to be slower uh, than, than regular iron sights because they actually sit on the slide. So as your mm -hmm. slide cycles back and forth, that dot is bouncing quite aggressively. Yeah. Uh, if you look at competitive shooters that shoot a red dot, yes, they are faster, but the gun setup is completely different. The sight doesn't sit on the slide. It actually yep. sits on a mount. You use a compensated ported gun, so it shoots a lot flatter. So from a from a perspective on a timer, it is somewhat slower. Again, coming from somebody that I've always shot iron sights, you know, uh, uh, I've shot limited division for many many years, and and having iron sights has always been key to me. However, operationally, we are a night vision team. We use night vision a lot. Yeah. And if you're going to use night vision, if you go to your handgun, you're going to have to have some type of sighting system. So initially we started playing with some of the lasers that go on your flashlight. Uh, quite cumbersome. You know, like the X400, I think, by Surefire is one we tested. It's a great laser. However, it's, it's pretty bulky. Finding a good holster. And maintaining zero was, was uh, somewhat of an issue as well. So that kind of pushed us away towards the, the, the red dot. Um, I'm right there with you on the RMR. Um, I went right to it just because I want the pistol to be full, uh, what I would call full spectrum. Like I don't want a pistol that I can't shoot passively at night uh, if, if required. But uh, irons are definitely better in the long run. Yeah, I mean, if we're being completely honest, going in a room and... and it's going to be quite fast. It'll be, yeah. it'll be it'll be plenty fast, and it'll be quite effective. I mean, it does have some challenges. It's got, it, it, it takes some time to get used to it. It took me some time to, to do the same groups. You know, like for me, when I go to the range, one of the things that I have to do is I put an epic target at 40 yards, and the drill is you draw, and you get five seconds to fire off five rounds at the head. And, you know, it's a, it's a four-by-six-inch uh not super crazy drill. You know, I could do it probably in three seconds most of the time, but that's like a requirement for me where I feel confident enough with the pistol that I'm going to carry. So I do that, and it took me some time to just get it in actually, you know, in sub three to be able to do it with the red dot, you know, because you just got so used to the uh, iron. Haven't had any battery issues. I know I heard a lot of people talk about how these things run out of battery. I truly haven't had any battery issues. Uh, it, it does a great job. I really like the LED adjustable. In the mm -hmm. sense when, I, when you turn it on and you hold the buttons for a short period of time, like two seconds or less, it adjusts to the light conditions. And I think that's a, that's a very, very good feature. They're one of the few that has that, that have that option. Uh, I like the Leopold. I think it has better glass, a better window, but it doesn't have the auto adjust. And yeah. 
to me, the auto adjust is a big deal. Did you go with the RM06? I'm guessing the three uh, point, I think it's like two five dot. I like the uh, the one MOA. Okay, so you went with the, the smallest they got on the Trigy? Yeah, the, the reality is, man, I mean, if you put, if, if, listen, I mean, and I'm, I'm not to get into the math of it, but look, a, a three and a half, a 3.25 dot at 100 yards covers three and a quarter inches, right? Yeah. Do, do the math theoretically how much, how big the dot is when you're that close. Mm-hmm. And I like to have a pistol that I'm able to shoot large targets at speed. And I also like to have a pistol that I could literally put a bullet on top of a bullet. So the bigger the dot, the harder that is. So to me, yeah. I shoot a one MOA dot. And if I'm really worried about how big the dot is, I just, turn up the, I just turn the brightness up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. And, and it gives me that flexibility to engage targets at distance. Uh, you know, people bitch about how difficult it is to get the battery out. Hey, man, if it lasts six months to a year and you're not checking your zero every so often, then, you know, me personally, every time I practice, I do a zero check. Uh, so the two seconds is going to take me two, to remove two screws, slap a new battery in, reconfirm zero. I'm not, do, I'm not changing batteries every time I practice. Uh, the current battery has been in that fight for, for probably – five months and I haven't had any issues with it at all. Uh, but but there is a there is a learning curve. Uh, I have Trijicon suppressor sights on it and I truly like those. I mean and they're accurate as well. I was gonna they, ask. Yeah I was about to say ask the same question too. <laughs> uh, yeah no I've, I've I've actually so I mixed up my practice. I do practice with the dot, and then I turn the dot off. And the last portion of my practice is just the iron sights through this, through the through the glass. I mean, and they really do uh, a good job. Uh, at 25, uh, they shoot for me just a hair high, but it's not something like I'm like, oh my god, this is, you know, this is crazy. I mean, they're they're plenty accurate for for. Let me put it this way. I shot uh, a two and a half inch group with the gun at 25 yards standing using the iron sight that, that uh, the, the Trijicon sight, you know, with, with just a standard lock barrel, cheap nine millimeter ammunition. I mean, the gun can, you know, that that's good enough for government work. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Have you uh, noticed any uh, blooming under your, uh, under your 31s with the Trijicon uh, sites like through the RMR? Uh, you will get some bloom. The, the ticket is I tend to operationally and even in training when I use it, I just set it, if I know I'm in complete night vision, I just set it to the lowest possible setting. Mm. So regardless, my nods will pick it up and it's, it's, it's good enough if I have to take a shot to use it. Well, I mean the, the tritium sites uh, since... Uh, oh, like yeah, the, tri the, tri the tritium site do, does cause some blooming, and it, 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 you do see that. However, it's, it tends to be out of focus. Right. So, uh, you know, it doesn't bother me as, as much. And, and the reality is 99% of the time, uh, it's, uh, it's a secondary... Uh, you know, the hang on is a secondary uh, weapon platform. You know, mm -hmm. most of the time, 
I'm using a 10 inch gun uh, with with some type of IR laser on it, and and that's what you do most of your you know your heavy lifting. Uh, however, we've had two or three operations where you realize, hey man, it's, you know, it's too much of a confined space. I would like to use my handgun, and then you realize without having a dot on your handgun, hey man, that's a, that's the a limitation. You're not gonna be able to do it under nods. Uh, yeah. Uh, that that was somewhat of a challenge. Uh, but the blooming hasn't been much of an issue. You'd have to legitimately sit there and, and try to focus your uh, your your 31 out to close to be able to see the bloom. Most of the time, I, the way I do my nods is I usually pick somebody that's about 10 to 15 feet away from me and I focus on them. Yeah. And I just keep it. I just keep it at that sense. Now, if I'm hanging a charge or I need to work a door latch or something that requires some, some closing work, I would adjust my nod. Or some of the guys have an iris where you could just throw a lever and just make the hole much smaller. Uh, I wonder if yeah, irises affected uh, how much light is actually getting into the tube or a noticeable amount. Well, if you use them, and obviously they're wide open, you'll have no problem. You know, you wouldn't even know that they're there. But but that's the whole idea is that because they limit the amount of light that goes in there to such a fine hole, they really do a good job focusing. However, you're not going to get as much uh, out of them. So most of the people that use them, they run them wide open. And then unless you need to change focus in a hurry, they, they run them closed. I mean, and I've seen, you know, when I was overseas, I've worked with some guys, basically, they would just put the cap back on the, the nod and punch a little hole in it mm-hmm. and then use that. But some of those irises are a couple hundred bucks, believe it or not. Yeah. Wow. I just, I, I never uh, saw the use for it. I mean, I I like, you know, I don't get me wrong. Yeah, it, it is convenient, but it's not that. I've never gotten to the point where I needed to change focus so fast that that was a, that was a need. Uh, so, for example, a lot of times where, where, I, where I end up changing focus is all of a sudden I'm having to do a breach and I need to kind of figure out, all right, quietly and methodically hang a charge and I need to really look and see where stuff is or I'm trying to cap into a, a, a charge. I need to see that. So that I'll take a minute and, and set that up. You know, that totally happens house. to me all the time in my house. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I need to I create a hole in my real quick. Yeah. Hey, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, and that's the thing, and not to be funny, man, you know, different applications for different people, you know, people have different TTPs, the way they use the nods. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, uh, once I, you know, got to 31 in, in white phosphorus, it's, it, it's legitimately like cheating, and I've said that probably a million times. Uh, so you try to do as much as possible because you know people just you know they even if they kind of see they see a shadow they can't really tell what's going on, and that's and that's a huge advantage, um, in, in the sense uh, you know using NVGs for for that kind of operation. But from a hang-on perspective, that seems to be the solution. Uh, However, in general, we as the gun community, we love gear. So people mm-hmm. go yes. and buy all that yes. gear and put it on their gun. And Especially that's great. When they see pictures of people like, like Yosef using the gear out in the wild. Everyone says, I, I need that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And the, and the reality is, man, I had to be like this. There is no substitute for, you know, having, you know, practicing and, 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 and literally putting in the hard work because at the end of the day, that's what's going to pay off. Don't get me wrong, you know. It's like taking a guy, like if I went today and I got on a racetrack and they gave me a, a race car, yeah, that's cool. I've got the 1,000 horsepower or whatever horsepower that is. But do I really squeeze all that performance out of that race car? And, you know, no, probably not. You know, however, you know, it's the same thing with some of that equipment. We spend money on equipment that, that most people may not be able to squeeze the performance out of. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, yeah. It's, and, that, it's that common concept of like, the end of the day, if you give, you know, you give an advanced tool to an untrained person, it'll actually hinder them. Right. But to a trained person, it just enhances a little bit of what they already do and know. Right. Yeah. But I'm not going to lie, man. When the gear comes in and you start messing with it, there's a, a lot of fun. You know, we all got that kid in us <laughs> like, oh, man, that was so cool. You know, I saw that on TV. It's gotta be, it's gotta be legit. Well, you already sold me on the tritium sites now, so thank you. <laughs> I guess I'll run out and pick those up. I, I, and, and I wouldn't, you know, I guess I'll, I'll say that if, if it was not a requirement for my agency, forever, I literally ran a black rear site and a, a fiber optic up front. I've run it operationally. I've carried it overseas. I I love that. I've never went into a condition where I said, man, if I only had night sights. The, mm-hmm. the, the fallacy of night sights sometimes to me is you have to have proper target ID before you stop blasting somebody. Do we agree to that? Yep. That depends okay. on what you ask. So you would have oh. to have proper... <laughs> Say what? I'm sorry. I said uh, target ID depends on who you ask. Well, that that is true. But let's just say we're all trying to be good good boys here. And you have to have proper target ID. The reality is there has to be some amount of light for you to work with before you just just go to work. So the idea of having night sight and people, you know, shoot in complete darkness, that's great. But, but you can't even see the target. Mm-hmm. And when you could see the target, you could at least see the silhouette of your night sight. Or, or not your night sight, your sights in general. I'm not saying don't get night sights. I'm just saying for, you know, 20 years carrying a gun, I kind of found that I'd rather have a black rear sight and a fiber on the front way better than I do having the night sight. I I find them to be more distracting uh, and less useful than having that fiber optic when I need it. What do you think about some of those those new pistol sights that um, have like the ghost ring on the front and back? Uh, I can't remember who ones, makes them. Like the Hiva? Which one? Like Hiva's sights? Is that, is that what you're talking about, Derek? I, I think that's what I'm talking about, yeah. Where the rear is a ghost and the front is just the front post? Well, the front's got that, it's, got, it's like a bigger dot in front, and the back one is literally like a, a circle with, like, tritium around the outside of the circle. Yep, that's exactly how I know what you're talking about. I, it's a matter of preference, but I, I'll put my two cents in there. I like to see what I'm shooting. So I tend to be the shooter that if the narrower the sight is, the better off I shoot. That's how fine-tuning I try to 
to shoot. So to me, the, the more stuff you put on the site, the more distraction it is, the less I see, the less accurate I shoot, and the slower I shoot. I like the I like the top of my site to be open. Have you ever heard of site categories? So so basically the way it works is the following. I don't use the same site picture every for every target at every distance. So for example, if I'm shooting a three yard six by inch, six by six box, and if I'm in that box, I'm good. I would use a very low sight category because at that distance, as long as I see my front sight with a very, very loose relationship to the rear sight, I'm going to impact that six by six box. So that's category one for me. Category two, if you gave me this box, but I'm at 10 yards, okay, now my front sight has to hover somewhere over the center area of my rear sight, and I'm still going to hit the box. And then you put me, that's category two. Category three is the highest category, and that is, you know, the front of the site is lined up with the rear side, equal light from both sides. The front side is super sharp. The rear side is somewhat fuzzy. That's category three. So when I go to a site that has a circle, I kind of, I feel like that limits the amount of category I have because I have to now make sure that that site is visible to me somewhere in that circle. Yeah, it kind of throws all that out the window. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that makes definite sense. I, I, I need to practice a lot more with my pistol shooting. I, I suck at it so much more compared to rifle or anything else. Well, the, the, the rifle is so much easier to shoot than a pistol. If I had to pick a practice... I would practice my pistol because as you get better with your pistol, shooting your rifle would would become so much more uh, easy. It becomes easier. Uh, you notice really good solid pistol shooters. You throw a rifle in their hand. They, they, it doesn't take them long to become uh, quite aggressive with the rifle in the sense, hey man, if they could drive a pistol, you know, a four inch gun or a five inch gun, and now you're giving them a 16 inch death and make it just mount it and, 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 you know, envelop the rifle. It's just not, I mean, it, it, it translates so much that I think, you know, if I had to pick one practice versus the other, I'd spend more time practicing the pistol because I think it's the hardest weapon platform we have to work with. And that's, and that's definitely the, the biggest problem is, like, with a lot of agencies and a lot of, like, with military time, I know for when I was in, we barely ever mess with the pistol that much like maybe they hit the range once every like two three months for a pistol or rifle you know two to three times a week you're at the rifle range and that's the biggest problem is guys that are carrying it but then you have like 20 percent of people that can actually qualify with that pistol and that's that's the main problem is people don't drill in the pistol they spend more time on rifles because it's fun and it's the cool guy stuff but that's one of the things that i've been doing a lot more is more pistol than rifle work is really what a lot of people need to do Nathan, do you think that was – oh, sorry to interrupt. Man. Yeah, no worries, man. I was just going to say, Nathan, I mean, in, in that situation there, I think it comes more back to realistically the ROI you're going to mm -hmm. get on pistol training, right? So you either need a lot of time to maintain those pistol skills. So it's not only just qualifying on them. Literally, the skill set 
surrounding pistol degrades so much faster than yeah. that of a rifle, right? So you'd have to spend more time up with upkeep. So my guess there is it's just a the bureaucratic choice of, well, if we're not really going to get much return on that time investment, we just skip it, right? Oh, it's but, extremely, I mean, it's extremely. But, you can even see from the last, like the last memes when that, you know, you got that picture of that colonel and his hands are all messed up on the pistol. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> <laughs> just, just show you, these guys, that's their, that's their primary weapon. Heck, they're, if they're in country, they're rifled nine times out of ten is in an arms room somewhere yeah, locked up yeah. in the room, and they're carrying that pistol. I mean, me, you know, I was a line guy. I was, you know, I worked recon and stuff like that, too, so we always had a, a sidearm, but it's one of those things that we you, you have to drill it more to make it like a real secondary weapon system. Yeah, and just to support, you know, what Yusef said there, I mean, I was – you know, from my perspective as a civilian shooter, I mean, it is what I put more time into because it's the thing that I see the biggest variance or the biggest variables come into my performance, right? Yeah. So you give myself two weeks off of pistol uh, and and shoot pistol and rifle on that same day, I can guarantee you I'm going to be little to no variable change in the rifle, right? Um, but pistol, you, you have to warm up or all those sort of things we, we put ourselves through and all oh, like, you know, give me, give me 300 rounds and I'll be fine again. <laughs> you know, that, that sort of thing. <laughs> and, and see, and that transition even more in the civilian market is that's where more people need to train with pistols because more people carry pistols, yep. you know, and that's the main thing is everybody's like, Oh, you know, I can shoot 50 rounds and I'm good because you know, for Texas, you shoot 50 rounds and you know, you qualify in a man sized target from three to, or from, yeah, from three yards to 15 yards, and then you're good, and these people never shoot again sometimes. Well, that's that's that main problem, right? Yes. Talk about the, the word of, you know, we qualify with, right? So, again, someone gets some license, they get their concealed carry because they can, you know, write a test or do 40, 50 rounds or whatever. That's awesome, <laughs> but that's not <laughs> skill maintenance, right? And you're absolutely no. right. Like, especially, you know, again, I'm an outsider as a Canadian speaking in <laughs> inwards here, but, I mean, like, you know, especially with the, you know, the concept that lives within America of, you know, the the defense of civilian you know mm-hmm. one that, that carries every day wants to deploy it uh, should they need to all that sort of stuff well problem is you know again if you could carry around a rifle in the same respect I, I guarantee you that they would do much better than they do with pistols which is the weird thing because again the focus is let's carry all carry pistols but we don't want to work on it which doesn't really lead to effectiveness under stress during a time you're pulling it right so yeah it's definitely that skill set that you know I, to the people that that I interact with it on a civilian level. It's like, Oh, you want to get into firearms practice pistol. Like yeah. that is the one you want to invest your time in. If you have a limited amount of time or, or, or budget. Mm-hmm. Definitely no, the, pistol, the, the, the pistol is unforgiving. You can't, you can't cheat on the pistol. A rifle, you could mismanage the trigger. Uh, you could not mount it as well as you should, especially if you're talking about an AR platform. And the, the gun itself is, 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 you know, I mean, is there some type of divine intervention when that gun was designed? It, it, it practically shoots itself. So the reality is most people want to shoot something to take, the, you know, for enjoyment. So at the end of the day, you're going to give them a handgun. You're going to say, hey, go shoot this. And... And most people are target-centric. They're not shooter-centric. So their assessment is focused on what the target is doing versus what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they don't get that positive result. So the pistol becomes a pain in the neck. However, a rifle uh, gives you a good feedback in the sense it's fun to shoot. You, you've said that. There's a lot of click and bang for your money. Uh, it's very easy to manipulate. 
and you get more positive results out of it. And in that sense, it's more fun to, to shoot, but, you know, so then you're probably more likely to shoot it. It's very difficult for people to go to pick the things that they, uh, uh, you know, have a struggle. I, I see that in law enforcement and military, regardless of, of, of one or the other, it, it, you know, most units or most law enforcement officers uh, don't get the opportunity to shoot, number one, for a variety of reasons, whether it's time, budget, or otherwise. And the truth is, most law enforcement officers are not really that interested in firearms. You know, they mm-hmm. carry the gun because that's the requirement. You know, I, I walked into a gun shop to buy a, 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 a Smith & Wesson at one point uh, that I wanted to do uh, some modifications to. So I wanted something used to just kind of try a couple of concepts. And uh, they had traded some, uh, some Smith from a department. And I bought it, you know, side on scene. And the guy was like, man, you're going to buy a cop gun? I'm like, think about it. And a police officer in an average agency across the nation, it, if they shoot 250 rounds through their issued, you know, handgun, that's actually a pretty decent amount of ammo. And if they have that gun for 10 years, they put 2,500 rounds through it. You understand what I'm saying? That gun is not even. It's like broken. buying a car that nobody yeah. drives. <laughs> and, and that's the thing is, I, I live in out. You know, I'm, a, I'm an hour away from Austin, and we have GT distributors in Austin. And I've been down there. I go down there like all the time. And there's so many police officer guns that have been traded in that you go and look at them. And if you're actually allowed to take them apart, the outside of it is dinged up, scratched up. It's been, you know, it's been used. But you look internally, and it looks like a brand new car or a brand new pistol because it's never been fired like it should be because they don't yeah, have the would, time and everything like that. I 100% that's exactly what I was going to say. Now, from the outside, especially if it's on patrol, from going in and out of the car, exposed to the elements, yes, it's going to be dinged up. But the reality is that gun is not even broken in. I mean, and, and, and to put it that in perspective, if you look at a Grandmaster uh, Ipsic shooter, when I was practicing, my goal was, and I don't, didn't even shoot as much ammo, as, hey, man, I'm going to practice three times a week, and each practice is going to be 350 rounds. That's three times as much, if not four times as much, as an average cop shoots his gun in a year. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and, and guns hold up for quite some time. You know, it's, most rounds, you know, especially like, a, you know, they're, they're not that much pressure. It's not like a rifle where you're putting, you know, high velocities through the, the barrel and high pressures. And then when you're talking about a gun that's had 5,000 rounds through it, that's a, that's, you just work the kinks out of it. You know, so, so that, that's definitely a, a, a skill set that people take for granted that, hey, man, how effective can you be with a handgun? Uh, we get this a lot. We do classes for major agencies or, or a variety of people, handgun specifically. And literally the first drill that we do is just a simple uh, assessment. And the assessment starts at 25 yards. You fire five rounds at 25, five rounds at 15, five rounds at 10, five rounds at seven, five rounds at five, and five rounds at three. Okay? Uh, It is a timed event. You have a six by 10 box to to shoot those rounds. Okay? It's a 30-round course. We say you could have four rounds outside the box. And to my amazement, there tend to be more rounds outside the six by 10 
than there are in there, or at least 50 50. <laughs> Great equalizer, the equalizer drill. The, the pistol. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the day, you know, and then, then people want to learn advanced skills, and I'm like, well, advanced skills is just being really good at the, at the basics. You know, being able to engage target at speed with some level of accuracy. And I think last time we talked about combat accuracy and just, you know, just randomly shooting and make, you know, just and not hitting what you're aiming for. So, again, it takes us back to the idea. If you do the same drill, just do it with the rifle, most people would be quite more successful. So, in turn, they're more likely to shoot their rifle. Well, and that comes back to, I guess, the sort of a separation of mindset, right? There's those that, I guess, and I'm speaking, I more outside of the service sort of industry right and that is there are going to be hobbyists that want that that from the hobby right they want that positive feedback they want that feel good like my week sucked but at least i'm good at shooting or something right <laughs> um and then you've got again the hobbyists that will then train right so but it's a different way you approach that problem right so it's not just again buying ammo having a firearm pressing a trigger a bang happens and you see some sort of feedback on our target the ones that focus on the training look at it differently in, in the sense of it's not the positive feedback you're looking for. You're looking for the ne negative feedback in order to correct, right? There's a different motivation behind it. And I think you're absolutely right there. I mean, it's hard to get the larger group that, which is the hobbyists, the pure hobbyists that want that positive feedback. It's hard to get them to look a different way. Cause again, you're right over time, no matter what sort of philosophy you instill in that person, unless it changes how they look at the problem, they will eventually gravitate back towards what's easiest for them, right? So the rifle. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you did bring up a very interesting point. Uh, you said something basically to the effect that guys, when they're doing assessment, they look at what they just did and they look at what they did wrong, correct? Correct. Yeah, I look at, so, you know, those that truly want, I guess, progress in a skill set, right? will yeah sure you always want to be sure of what you do correct in terms of maintaining those those correct behaviors um but at the end you know to truly progress the skill set one has to correct the weaknesses right so you're more looking for okay where's my limit and uh to then develop a plan to overcome it right so you're looking you're looking yeah. for different feedback no absolutely I, I will tell you this i kind of i understand what you're saying and, and and we may have a a different thought on it but with the same end goal, I try to actually focus on what I did right because that's what I want to do again. I, I try to forget what I did wrong because the reality is every time I think about what I did wrong, I actually just did a repetition. If I told you right now, don't don't think of me wearing a yellow chicken suit, you were going to think late. of me wearing a yeah, yellow you, chicken suit. Yeah, of course, yeah. Which in, which, which in turn, not just so to me, when I fired a shot and it's a bad shot, it's, it's literally out of my mind the minute that gun finished cycling. And I don't sit there and overanalyze it. I just, I, I actually, I think that your training agenda, or at least the way I would train, is I tend to look at, okay, I know what the fundamentals are, and I know those fundamentals work because I've applied them and I've been successful every time I apply them. So I spend my time doing zero analysis of what I did wrong and actually try to focus on, okay, well, I know this is what works. And if you look at anybody, anybody that's successful, a golfer, a football, you know, a quarterback or whatever, one thing you look at that is consistent in uh, successful performance is the following. They don't change what the fundamentals are. They just ensure that they consistently apply them throughout their performance. And 
so the, the way I look at it is I tend to be, I let the good shooting be the side effect of me being true to the fundamentals. And then if and something I, goes wrong, I just look at that as an anomaly and I move on and I'll look at the next positive thing. Now, I do want to propel myself forward. So what I tend to do is try to develop a training agenda that will will push me to the next level. But, you know, obviously, you're going to have to do that incrementally. And, and the reality is, you know, most people, it, it is a challenge to figure out, you know, what's the proper training agenda and, and, and what are my training uh, goals you know i don't get in my car and go to the range without saying okay here are the things i'm going to work on and 99.9 of the time i usually pick two things no more than two things uh you know every once in a while i pick a, a, a third that's kind of how i tend to approach the the, the training concept to, to try to develop myself i want to continuously do the good things so I just focus on what the good things are and, and, and try to make that become a continuous habit. Does that make sense? Yeah, I actually uh, I actually completely agree with you. Let me clarify my previous statement. So uh, in terms of the actual test, No, no, no. Once you said it, you can't. <laughs> I can't think. It's, oh, it's out there. It's out there. Uh, uh, did you not explain the rules to him? Guys, let me backpedal successfully. <laughs> no, I actually, no I, I agree with you. Um, my previous statement was more about the macro setting, right? So the big sort of outlook towards firearms in general, like we're taking it up as a, a as a activity we like to do. So in terms of how we approach those two things, I would say someone who looks at it from a training perspective wants to improve their weaknesses. Now at a very micro task, le uh, task level that you were speaking of, I completely agree. It's not about sitting there and going, well, I pulled the trigger to, you know, I, I pressed two, too much to the left it's all it's just yeah. about again the next shot and making sure your fundamentals are on each shot if one shot isn't it doesn't matter it's just again to the next shot so just want to make a clarification because actually we, i think we completely agree on that one then awesome guys yeah, no, i mean that's uh, well, well said well we have covered some awesome points tonight uh gone over some really cool technical information that hopefully will help someone out at home it certainly helped me out uh, thank you for coming back on again, Yosef, and Chris, and Nathan, and Robo. Yeah, sorry for being, uh, sorry for being late. Uh, pff, yeah, we're used to it by now. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Had a blast as always, guys. And before we uh, peace out for this first segment, everyone go ahead and give your social media handles a plug for people at home to go and find you. Are we going left to right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what, yeah, I, that's what I'm I doing this. <laughs> You're on right, deck. I'll, I'll just stop. Uh, you visit our website www.esotericllc.com. Uh, also follow us on Instagram uh, and check out some of our videos on YouTube. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on this uh, podcast. As always, it's uh, quite entertaining and a lot of good uh, information exchange. Cool, uh, Schultz. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah, Schultz Photography. You can check me out on Instagram. It's at Schultz Photography underscore. You can also check out my website at Schultz Photography.com. Uh, I got all my race photos up there, weapons photos, and got a bunch of cool things come up later in the next couple months. Oh, uh, because You're operator, so because polite. operator, because operator, because operator. Um, yeah. <laughs> That was an awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that did not disappoint, Chris. Uh, every, you guys can find me at uh, at Robo Murray uh, on Instagram, uh, or take a look at the consulting stuff we're doing through WGT Consulting, just at WGT, uh, WGT Consulting. Um, but yeah, that's that's my plug. 
Awesome. Thank you guys for tuning in. Be sure to check out MoGuns.com, M-O-E-G-U-N-S.com, uh, where you can get podcast t-shirts, stickers, and free iPhone wallpapers. Thank you guys, and we'll see you next time.